0: Over
1: to you, Victoria. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much indeed. And um, welcome to everybody who's come today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Louise, especially. And uh, for, for Francoise for, for organising this event up north, down north, depending whichever way you're coming from. Um, we we ran this seminar in London back at the beginning of November and it was very oversubscribed so we thought it would be a great idea perhaps to run it again later in the year and we wanted someone else to do it that was absolutely not London and so that was the original rationale for for, um, coming to Scotland and then I think in the meantime Louise uh, uh, contacted us and said, "How about doing it up, up here in Glasgow?" And we thought, "Yep, that's that's great." So that's that's really why we're here today. And um, thank you, to those people who sent in some little responses, giving us a little bit of information about yourself. If you haven't done that, that's not a problem at all, because we will be research- we, we will be workshopping it a little bit this morning anyway. Um, we've put out a, a schedule there, but it is quite fluid. Once we get engaged in discussion and interaction and so on, it's a shame to have to curtail that just because our schedule says, you know, a certain amount of time for one thing and then a certain amount for another. So we will keep more or less the schedule, but it really doesn't matter too much um, if we have some movement and some fluidity there. This, This particular topic began for me with my own project Um, which was as a uh, supervisor and as an examiner of doctoral theses, I became very interested in the whole idea of of theory, which I do see as something, a very slippery phenomenon, by, by which I mean it's not really easy to pigeonhole it, and it's not even probably a good idea to try to do that theory can be different things at different times, and it overlaps immensely with methodology, with disciplinary areas, with sort of big theory and grand narrative, which is out there in the literature, and the kind of theories, and theorizing that we get from practice. So it does mean many different things to to different people at different times. And um, it was very much from that line of thinking that I got interested in instances where I was supervising or or where I came across a doctoral thesis which had a very, very sort of powerful theoretical strand to it, I became really curious about how that person arrived at that position. Why that particular theorist or why that particular theoretical and methodological positioning as opposed to another? How is that people achieve goodness of fit between their research idea, their original research question, problematic, and where they end up in the thesis, which sometimes takes them somewhere really quite different to what you might have imagined, and brings in all sorts of new ideas, which certainly weren't evident or obvious in the research question that you start out with, which I guess in most instances is pretty closely related to what we do in our day job.
0: My name is Louise Drum. I'm a PhD student here in Glasgow Caledonian University. I'm coming towards the end of my second year. I'm full-time, so that's a scary sort of thought, kind of heading towards my uh, writing-up period next year. Um, so this is the Fisher-Price element of today. I'm just going to talk you a little bit through what I've, how I've been sort of, you know, metaphor, struggling, wrestling, um, dealing with theory in my PhD I'm going to give a little bit of background about what my research question is the area that I'm looking at and um, I'm going to talk about it a, a couple of texts that have been useful to me um, and I've got some handouts as well and I'm just going to tell you where I'm at at the moment and I want to emphasize that it is a journey and um, it's still in progress I'm going to talk about things that I don't actually understand and that you know it's obviously a little bit scary for me super so gentle but my slides are available um, on SlideShare under that URL. I'm sure we can share that with you digitally as well by email. That's a QR code. If you have a smartphone, you can clip it out and uh, and capture that, and that will get you to there. I'll also tweet them later. That might be the shortest way for you to, to get them. So it's Louise, at Louise, drum, two Ms. So, health warnings. This is a work in progress. <laughs> um, what I'm saying... Uh, I think the thing about, I went to the, the SNRHE, um event, uh, this seminar, back in November, and even within the months since that point, things have kind of changed an awful lot for me, um, and some of that as, as, as a result of conversations I had during that day, um, which were incredibly useful to me. Um, but a, a lot of it is about just me kind of working along, um, some of the theories that I've I've been coming across and trying to apply it to my questions. So all the time I'll try to refer back to my question. Um, The other thing that I'd say about this is that when I started off my PhD, I put in, you know, a proposal and I thought an awful lot about, I've heard about theoretical frameworks and all this stuff and I thought there was some sort of intellectual muscle that I just had underdeveloped, that that I needed to get it into the gym and I needed to, you know, bulk up somehow or other on on this big heavy lifting stuff that I needed to do. And and what's kind of surprised me about it is that there's been two prongs to this. One's been a sort of emotional journey in terms of like, okay, I can understand that, you know, I'm not the person who thinks that, you know, I can't do this. But also, um, there's stuff that I know from my professional background. And sometimes there's a strange synergy that has happened in terms of looking at what my research question is, and looking at theory and then somehow or other, oh, that sort of fits in a way that feels quite nice. A little bit like, not quite a jigsaw, but there's something that I I kind of knew implicitly that some things kind of panned out a little bit. And then the other times, the other prong to this is the times that your whole world just goes, boom, like that. And everything's just shaken up in your sort of conceptual framework about how stuff works um, is is fundamentally challenged, a little bit like what what, um, what we're talking about this morning. So my research question is, what role does theory play in teaching digital technologies in universities? So I'm specifically looking at lecturers' use of digital technologies in any shape or form for teaching in universities. Now already I've got the word theory in there, so I've got theory at loads of different levels here. I'm not going to concentrate too much on that, but it does inform the, the sort of theoretical framework that I that I'm developing so I've got the theories that I'm looking at are things like theories of learning obviously so how does it learn how do people learn how does it occur also theories of teaching what do people do to enable that to happen disciplinary areas so I'm, I'm looking at lecturers uh, across different disciplines and then again when you look at that the nature of knowledge in different disciplines is different so that in turn you know informs the bigger theory aspects of my PhD and then theories of technology, of what is, or how do we use technology, kind of societal issues in terms of, around technology and does technology have a sort of deterministic aspect to it, um, or is technology neutral it bringing it into the classroom, does it have, what kind of effect does it have, or does it, is there something in, in technology. Those are all things that actually come, you know, when you, when you zoom out a little bit, these are things that inform a theory um, in a bigger level as well, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But, Just kind of bear those in mind. So, what Victoria was talking about this morning is quite interesting in terms of trying to track back to where it started and what where did theory come from? And what I found useful is to think about the things that I'm not doing. Um, I'm not observing um, or experiencing first-hand lecturers' teaching. I'm not looking at my own teaching. I'm not looking at my own lecturing and and examining that. So I'm at a bit of a remove. And already there's a sort of, you know, Interpretive buzz around that area in terms of what what am I going to say in terms of if I'm not How do I examine exactly what I'm researching if I'm not experiencing it directly myself? I'm not looking at things over time. I'm not tracking changes. Um, I'm not looking at a before or after an intervention in terms of teaching. I'm not looking to solve any particular teaching problems or anything like that. I'm I'm really just looking at um, lecturers' experience and understanding of their own teaching with technologies. And I am not looking at um, power, or um, looking, to ch- uh, looking at imbalance in power, or privileges, or seeking change. Not yet, however, I, I realise that you know that has an impact on the kind of bigger theory aspect of my PhD. But that's that's not my question right now. Anyway, we'll see. Maybe next week. So, what I can research, I can look at lectures how they report their use of digital technologies, how they position themselves in relation to technology generally so you know whether they're saying stuff like I'm a Luddite or my printer hates me or you know I'm a geek and I can you know code or whatever. So um, I'm also looking at how they're presenting their teaching in relation to their discipline. So whether they're saying I'm very typical of my discipline area or whether I'm um, I'm, or I'm in my institution I'm the only person who's doing X, Y or Z. So, how things like the, the, the idea of what knowledge is, and what teaching is in their discipline, and how that interacts with them, and how that then uh, manifests maybe in, in the, their use of te- choices of technology. So, reading for me is a big cycle. Um, it's an iterative cycle. And I suppose one of the places that I found more in-depth use of theory is in other theses. Um, um, there's various ways of accessing pieces. I think that ethos is one of the... Um, uh, main uh, databases here in the uk that 's useful for looking at quite up to date theses but going back several years as well and again this comes with a health warning that it's it's you know you read it like we were saying at lunchtime you read it in trepidation that somebody's done something that you wanted you want to do or you thought you were the first person to do it but at the same time it 's just about finding some kind of reflection or bouncing off on ideas that other people have used theory and in some ways thesis is, is the place where you get the most detail about how people have set up their physical background and their their framework and that for me has and continues to be a useful way of doing it obviously I've got lots of kind of areas that kind of come together education technology and education and then just technology generally so there's lots of lots of bits of literature out there that aren't kind of joined together much in, in a single body of work and um, Research textbooks. Uh, there's a couple of those that I've been I've been using and I've been going back to uh, continuously. And again, it, it's kind of comes with a health warning because I found that, and this is something I've I've sort of discovered. You know, it's probably it's not something new, but I've discovered for myself is that everyone's always writing from a particular position, and usually people have a particular position that they have invested in in time and in their careers. So you always have to kind of take a step back and think about what their position this person is putting forward, even in the research textbooks, you know. You might get through a really, really big book and then there'll be a little paragraph of something that might be relevant to you. Um, or what I did when I was reading, what I continue to do, is i take quotes, just take quoting, taking down quotes, something that's meaningful, um, and then when I come back to thinking about whether that is still relevant to what I'm wanting to do in terms of theory, I'll go back and read the context again and see if I'm actually interpreting it correctly. And then big theories, so by the kind of the big writers that we were talking about earlier, the big philosophers, um, and uh, reading around that, and coming back to the main text, and then reading around what other people say. So this is probably stuff that's quite familiar to you, but it's just, um, it, it, it looks like a, it's, it's a kind of, quite a neat process there, but obviously it's horrendously messy. So, um, what I thought about, in terms of looking at my question, was what other people had done beforehand. So there were three things that I could I sort of semi-categorize other literature into. And that was, the first one would be the kind of the empirical approach to education. So measuring student outputs, measuring grades, measuring retention, their satisfaction, um, doing things, doing stuff that's quite empirical. Um, Second area was critical theory. So using um, social theories and critical theory to uncover privileges. And working towards some kind of emancipatory agendas. There's a lot of work doing going on there in the education area. I have, Kind of obviously, in a way, because when you think about the the, uh, the position of, of of teaching and um, relation to teaching activity, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot that could be done within that. The last one was um, comu- computer science informed areas. So things like system based theory. Somebody was talking about it after network theory. Things that are much more sort of design based. Um, and funny enough, I I, I kind of have a I have a computing background, and I have, a, I have a I have an English literature background as well. So in terms of the critical theory, all of these are kind of quite familiar to me, but nothing quite fit together perfectly in terms of any of these being quite right for my question. Um, and again, it's about sort of how I kind of felt my way through all these all these different areas to see how well if I don't take any of these any of these boxes, if I don't have something, how am I going to work through to find? find a way to find theory for my PhD. So this is the first of the texts um, I'm going to talk about. And it's 1998, so both of them are actually, you know, not elderly, but getting on a little bit uh, in terms of of textbooks. But this was something that um, one of my supervisors gave to me a few months after I started, and I found it quite useful. Um, The first 20 pages, just the introduction, was a really (laughs) clear way of talking about the relationship between uh, epistemology, theoretical perspective, methodology, and methods. Um, and the one thing that he did say in it was this, uh, people use different terms. People, if you'll read books and they'll, they'll, they'll use uh, different terms interchangeably. Uh, for one person, what's methods is another person's methodology. Um, and that's all confusing. And, and he's, this is the way he's done it. Interesting enough, I re- went back and I read all this last week again, and I thought, I have different thoughts about it now. Um, but when I came to this first, it was just a useful starting point for me. Um, this is this is his model here I actually stuck ontology there um because he, he kind of wraps it up within epistemology but I just stuck it on there because for me it was useful to think about it slightly separately and um, I'm just going to read what those what those four kind of bo- blocks really mean Um so obviously he's he kind of does a uh, building sort of upwards but everything feeds down into each thing so the methods are obviously the techniques the procedures used to gather and analyze data related to some research question or h- hypothesis. The methodology is the strategy, plan of action, process, or design line behind the choice and use of particular methods and linking the choice and use of those methods to the desired outcome. The theoretical perspective, the philosophical stance, informing the methodology and thus providing a context for process and grounding its logic and criteria. And the epistemology. that is the theory of knowledge embedded in the theoretical perspective and thereby in the methodology and ontology would be the nature of reality so the nature of social reality with the domain of um, research so those those particular areas it's interesting when I was thinking about this I kind of from I had an instinct that I wanted to I wanted to do something with lecturers I wanted to probably interview them Um, and these you know I had that and I had a method and I had uh, a kind of an epistemology in terms of what I was what I was doing I knew it wasn't going to be positivist I knew it wasn't going to be objective but it was it was those kind of outer edges but I just had the bits in the middle I couldn't quite fill in in terms of what I wanted um, and this is also um Karate's table here when I saw this table I got really excited because I thought this is brilliant it's a menu I could just pick from each of the columns and that's going to be my, my methodology um, my framework but, of course, it doesn't work like that. And I kept trying to find ways of bringing together, yeah, there's my interview there, okay, and there's my, you know, my constructionism over there on the outsides. And I wanted to find out what was my ology? What was the thing in the middle that I wanted to, that, that's going to help me um, pull it, bring this together um, and, and under underpin it? Um, so I actually went down some of these routes, you know. I went down kind of the... the whether things like um, symbolic interactionism is something I wanted to look at or discourse analysis. Um, but the, there was, the, and again, 1998, things have probably moved on. There's probably an awful lot more isms and that could go in there at this point. Um, but it was just a, a useful starting point for me. So I tried on different things, tried activity theory. Um, my supervisors will attest to my... Uh, Complete rotation with everything. At a certain point, I was I was just chucking in everything for different parts of my research question. I was sticking in models and so on. So, um, and I tried things like phenomenography, uh, the things about the lovely diagrams and things like the um, activity theory and so on. But it was all it was all kind of piecing together little bits and pieces. There wasn't there wasn't a theoretical stance or even position that I could that that I was comfortable with. Um, but it's strange, I kind of felt this pressure from somewhere, not from my supervisor, but from, from somewhere within that I had to have something, um, something there. Um, and then I came across post-structuralism. Um, and I read these two particular quotes, which you don't need to worry about, but they, they kind of spoke to me in terms of individuals, as I say, not being simply puppets, but they're diverse and different and they carry contradictions and tensions within themselves. And I knew this about people who lecture. I knew this about people who teach in universities. There's all these pulls in different directions in terms of what what they're trying to do, how they're negotiating uh, the best interest of the student, the best interest of the the, the university, of their discipline, um, of their own research, and things like that. There's all these different things. And I thought that somehow explains things in a more complex way. um, And somehow or other that, that spoke to me. And anyway, in the meantime, I was coming towards the end of my first year, and uh, here we have a mini-viva. Um, it's a, a procedure by which you're confirmed as a PhD student uh, by doing a mini-viva and a short presentation and, um, and a, a large proposal. And I had to get something in. So I, had a, um, I really wanted to kind of explore this, but I just didn't have the time. So as it was, it was sandwiched in, and quite rightly, it was pointed out that it wasn't really coherent in terms of the way that my... Uh, my proposal was going. Um, but I, I since that point I, I've you know thought further about it and done more reading and so on in a more reflective way. And at that time as well, what was very useful about that is I had to put in this proposal and I had to had to write it all out. Um, but I, I, I also wrote out that I did you know how I didn't understand it and how it didn't hang together. Um, this is the second text I'd recommend. Um Earl and Morgan, nineteen seventy nine. The vintages are getting more special. Um, so this is Sociological par- Paradigms and Organizational Analysis um, a title I wouldn't have kind of gone to the library and deliberately looked up by any means. But it was actually the guy i was sitting beside in the seminar in November who recommended this to me. Um, and there's a, c- a s- couple of slides on this that I'd like to um, I'd like to share with you. Again, it's just a different take on the same things that Crotty had. Um, so we've got, you know, your, your different continuums here. And they build up into, into some paradigms later. But you've got your sort of objectivist on this side. And since we have scientists as well at this table, so, you know, how, how, we're, how we're kind of negotiating the difference between objectivist and subjectivist approaches to social <laughs> sciences. And um, looking at these, obviously, we've got ontology and, and realism, so you've got the more um, the objective and social science. Again, I'm going to read through this, uh, the notes on this, and I, can give, I have photocopies of these if anybody wants to take some. So, um, the the other thing about these terms is that, uh, again, reading through different texts, people use different words. Um, So, the nominalism would be the the sort of, the subjectivist approach. Um, Nominalism assumes that social reality is relative, and social world is mainly names, concepts, and labels that help the individual structure reality. And these labels are artificial creations. Realism assumes the world has hard, intang- intang- has hard intangible structures that exist irrespective of labels. The social world exists separate from the individual's perception that the social world exists as strong as the physical world. And on the epistemological um, axis there, pos- positivists believe that one can seek an, to explain and predict what happens in the social world by searching for patterns and relationships in between. They believe one can develop hypotheses and test them, and knowledge is a cumulative process. Anti-positivists, the other end, reject the observing, that observing behaviour can help one understand it, one must experience directly. They reject that social sciences can create a true objective knowledge of any kind. So in terms of me, I'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of definitely on this side of ontology. In terms of epistemology, you know, you've kind of got grades here, things like post-positivism, post-positivism and um, non-positivistic aspects. So, you know, the, the, again, these are continuums, uh, which is quite useful. The next one, volunteerism and human nature and determinism, also you could do, classify this as the structure versus agency debate, so whether whether we have free will or whether we are determined by our social structures. This comes back to me in terms of technology, thinking about whether technology uh, determines our behaviour and whether you know uh, text messaging is actually ruining children's grammar and so on things like that but that falls within this, this debate so it does relate back to my question um, and methodologically we're uh, looking at ideographic and non athetic and um, so the uh, non athetic would be the more scientific methods of hypothesis testing ideographic would be getting inside the subject and exploring their detailed background so things like you know more ethnographic approaches and um, The next sort of continuum that they talk about in this book is the sociology of regulation or radical change. And for me, this was something that I'm still kind of going, working on with. And just looking at the the way that they've kind of um, classified things here, uh, sociology of regulation is concerned with the status quo, social order. So as a researcher, you're looking for the consensus. You're looking for the integration and cohesion, radical change. It's more about um, structural conflict and contradiction and then emancipation as an agenda after that as well. Um, I think what was interesting for me this is that I, I really got caught up at this and I thought, I don't know which, which side I'm on, I don't know which column I go on. And that's actually turned into an interesting conversation within probably my thesis eventually. That why am I not exactly one side or the other? Um, and that's that's going to be the position I take. That it's not it, it's not actually an either or. Um, so the last this is the last sort of slide uh, from Berlin Morgan, but this is how they are mapping uh, from left to right: subjective, objective, and the radical change regulation axes. And these are the areas here that they're sort of mapping things, uh, uh, mapping different paradigms into. Um, and again, I spent ages looking at these boxes, going, "Gosh, where do I put myself?" Um, and what doesn't help is that they gave this as well, which is a fantastic <laughs> mapping of these different theory circuits in 1979, of where where these different theoretical models where they place them. Anyway, um, again, it's the, it's their interpretation of things. But I, I looked at that and I thought, "Oh my goodness, I don't know which side of this line I'm on." You know, I know I'm definitely there, but. Um, what, what I'd like to do is, um, I'm just going to pass out some handouts uh, for you to take a look at. But just before that, I'm just going to talk a little bit about where I've sort of ended up. Um, so I'm going to ask you... So all of that, those two books will be on these pieces of paper, and I'll... It is one each. Uh, oh, that's a different one, sorry. Okay. Right. So where I've sort of ended up, um, back in January, the 12th of January, it was about half 11 in the morning, I was sitting in the University of Edinburgh Library, and you I know exactly the place I was sitting. And I was reading, rereading, not just reading, rereading a, a article on um, education and school education, which of course isn't what I'm interested in. But they were talking about how they were using um, rhizome theory as a way of exploring um, different approaches to teaching in Australia, I think it was. And I had come across rhizomatic learning a few times before. This is um, the idea that as an adult learner, you work organically, um, dynamically, uh, in a a way that's very much self-directed. And um, it's an interesting concept because it's been applied to MOOCs. Um, but it's, it's applied to, the, it's the idea of kind of in opposition to your general structured learning where you have a, an exam at the end or you have a particular assessment or you have a particular curriculum that you're, that you're trying to fulfill. Um, rhizomatic learning is much more about the, the individual learner creating their own pathway. So I was reading about that and then I realized, oh, hang on, there's a whole big... French philosophy thing going on behind that that I didn't I didn't know about, and this was Deleuze and Guattari um, who worked together on this book um, during the 70s. Uh, Published in 1980 and then translated into English in 1987, and um, it suddenly captured something for me that that I was looking for in terms of um, the chaotic, chaotic and highly connected nature of teaching. As teachers, you know we are. Uh, ongoing learners as well so it maps quite neatly into rhizomatic learning but the idea of rhizome is the idea of knowledge being something which is uh, sort of chaotic it's it's connected and it's very much in opposition to a more hierarchical structure maybe the way Western sort of thinking has been about knowledge so the hierarchical structure of course is symbolized by the tree so growth comes from a root to through the stem out into branches and it follows a set pattern a tree you know will branch out in a binary way and um, and the rhizome is something that is quite uh, different in the way that it grows it grows underground um, it's a it's a weed it, it's um, something which is quite dynamic it creates its own pathways it goes around obstacles and all this started chiming with me in terms of the way that lecturers operate they go around obstacles all the time Teachers find ways around uh, systems or structures within universities. They'll find ways to do things that are efficient or uh, will enable the learner to uh, achieve learning outcomes. Um, and it just seems to me something that fit together. And then I started reading around it, and I still don't have a handle on it. But it's 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 a starting point for me in terms of thinking about a, a bigger theory, and it maps quite neatly into this is my kind of my table of how I've kind of mapped out my research questions, ontology, epistemology, and theoretical framework and rhizome theory seems to fit into um, the theories of, of uh, uh, knowledge and reality. So knowledge is rhizomatic, rhizomatic theory in opposition to the, the sociology of regulation. So I'm, I'm finding my position on those maps um, and then using the rhizomatic, using it as a lens to explore um, teaching uh, using digital technologies. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Um, uh, but I'm by no means an expert in any of it. What I've just given out to you there, you should have two sheets of paper each. Is that right? So um, uh, the, first, the first sheet has got the, the, the karate uh, diagram on it and the second one has got um, the, yeah, that, the, the four paradigms and stuff. And just, I suppose, uh, uh, for yourselves, for the first few minutes, we've got, we've got about 15 minutes for this. Maybe just have a look at those and see if, If there are gaps in where you're at with your own research, if there's certain areas that you think that, you you know, that this might, is this helping you to think about it, or is it, uh, are there particular areas that you'd map yourself in terms of the paradigm, um, the four paradigms, and then just uh, turn to your neighbour and and have a discussion, explain to each other about what your gaps are, or where you think you're positioning yourself at this point in time. Okay, we've got 15 minutes for that
1: back and be back. You are familiar with the World Cafe format. Some, some folk have definitely done it before, some people are shaking their heads. Well, you can find out a lot about it online, there's some very useful uh, explanations of what it is there and how it should be set up, etc., in order to do it correctly. Which really ought to be with um, know, proper tablecloths and candles and flowers and dinner lights so, so, so and sweets. Yeah, yeah, little <laughs> sweet treats and all the rest of it to, to sort of get us all, all in the zone, get us all in the mood, and. Well, clearly that's not going to happen just, just <laughs> right now at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday afternoon, Glasgow Calendonian. However, um, we can get some sense of, of, of what this is and how it works very, very usefully, I think, You're just in this, this short panoply session. And as I said, my intention here, our our thinking behind this, is that there may well be people who come with a particular burning question or a particular idea, or alternatively something that's come out of what we've done so far today, that you think is sort of deserving of a a final airing. And therefore, um, what what I'm proposing is that you put forward a single question for each of these four tables, one, so we just want four questions or four observations all together which we will write on our tablecloth and you will then gravitate to the one that interests you the most and you will discuss that particular question and as you are doing so, you will make notes on what you're talking about on your tablecloth and then when you've had enough of that question, you move to another one and to another one. So everybody kind of just drifts around and adds their bit of like graffiti on the wall, really, or literally, you know, on the on napkin, on the back of a fag packet, um, writes down their own particular thoughts, their ideas, or something someone else has said which is of interest to them. So we just need then four, quest- four remaining questions, four outstanding questions that you would we like just, to hear just people just fuse on? Them. We only need to do one at each table. We just need four questions all together. They can come from anybody. Yeah. Yes. Can you then.
0: How,
1: then. reconcile different theoretical perspectives within your work? How do you reconcile... That you would have one at hand. Okay, mm-hmm. how, no answer yet. How do you reconcile yeah. different... Just, different theoretical perspectives within your research? Okay, oh, for someone who's got decent handwriting, they drop that one down here? How do we reconcile different perspectives within our research? We're stealing research? your question Okay, so that's one question. Fantastic. The question for this tablecloth here might be,